do you believe Jesus is actually coming again? Jesus himself said that he would return as a thief in the night. But that doesn't mean true believers will be caught by total surprise when the Lord returns. Not at all. The Apostle Paul said, it's the unbelievers who will be taken by surprise. But you believers, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Lord's coming will not overtake you by surprise because you're children of light and not children of darkness. In fact, born-again believers are supposed to know the general season of the Lord's return by watching for the signs that he gave. Are you watching? The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. According to Revelation 22:17, the spirit and the bride say to Jesus, "Come." If you claim to be a born-again believer, is Revelation 22:17 the cry of your heart? Or if you're honest, do you wish, "Lord, don't come yet. I still have some things to do first." Another question to ask yourself do you really yearn to be with the Lord or do you prefer to go through the time of unprecedented wrath such as the world has never experienced to date that is called the Great Tribulation? Ask yourself, is Titus 2.13 your blessed hope? The peering of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Or... Are you so tied to this world much more than your betrothal to the Lord? Well, this is serious. In daily, I'm shocked by the growing lawlessness, the debauchery, and the strong delusion that's falling like a blanket over the nations. Good is blindly being called evil, and evil is called good. You see, 2 Thessalonians 2.11 in the New Testament predicted that God would eventually give over the lawless rebels to a strong delusion because people don't love the truth. They don't want the truth. And therefore, because they're obsessed with evil, God says he's going to rub their noses in it. He'll give them what they want. I can remember there was a time when the Empire State Building and other New York skyscrapers were lit up with crosses on Resurrection Sunday. But now such a gesture would be scorned by politicians, too politically incorrect. Yet not too long ago, images of a scary-looking goddess were lit up on the Empire State Building, and this paganism would have been unthinkable a generation ago. Well, I'm still praying for an awakening and hoping the West hasn't gone past the point of no return, but it's alarming when the UK's former equality chief, Trevor Phillips, made news headlines admitting that extremist ideas have brought about the near disintegration of Britain in the name of diversity. People are looking for a strong man to emerge 
because corrupt politicians are letting us down and continually frustrating and disappointing us. Unfortunately, however, the Bible calls such a leader the Antichrist. End time prophecy revolves around the nation of Israel, and we need to establish that fact firmly in our minds. However, I want today to concentrate on a major sign of the Lord's soon return, and the sign is the irony that the closer to the coming of the Lord, the more the doctrine of the rapture and the second coming are being mocked, just as the New Testament predicted. Believers who are clinging to the blessed hope of the Lord's appearing are being called escapists. So what's the truth? In the New Testament, the Apostle John said that born-again believers have an anointing, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, who teaches us all that we need to know about everything, while God has appointed teachers and preachers also in the body of Messiah. Nevertheless, we have this inner anointing that alerts us if a doctrine is true or false. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is an inner alarm or an inner peace, whatever the case may be. And when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, His Holy Spirit condescends to live inside us, giving us intuitive power that enables us to recognize the good, the bad, and even to know intuitively the good, the will of God. After she had passed through a period of rebellion, a friend of mine told me that her mom had prayed John 16, 13 over her life. I love this. Jesus said in that verse, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, not just some, but all truth. It is indeed a very good verse to pray over all our children and grandchildren. And so as we learn to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, we learn day by day to trust the guidance and the leadings of the Holy Spirit. But if we have a problem, it's our tendency usually to seek out another believer's opinion, and social media makes it so easy to do. But there is safety in the multitude of counselors. However, the Holy Spirit is also never wrong if we learn to follow His leadings. A brother or sister in the Lord may give us advice according to their understanding, but what we need is a direct relationship with God. And if we're attuned to Him, one of the things He'll show us is that the Lord is coming soon. The church has always taught the doctrine of the second coming, but for many decades there have been major warning signs of His imminent return. Yet, many believers tragically are asleep and not paying attention. The Apostle Peter also said that in the last days, scoffers will come and they will scorn the doctrine of the second coming. And certainly the scoffers are here. But God is honor-bound to warn the world of the imminent return of His Son before the great tribulation judgments outlined in the book of Revelation. God always sends warnings because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and be saved. So he sends plenty of warnings. The Lord warned the world through Noah, a preacher of righteousness, for 
120 years. But the careless people of Noah's day were like people today. They were eating, drinking, marrying. And in our case, not only are people marrying, but they're changing marriage laws. But then suddenly the flood came and Noah's generation couldn't say they weren't warned. God is still sending out red alerts that his son is about to return. And we see all of the signs, global terrorism, earthquakes, diseases, chaos in the cities, signs in the sun and in the moon, freakish weather, tsunamis, apostasy in the churches, robotics and all the end time technology, transhumanism that brings right up to date the fantastic things mentioned in the book of Revelation. In my grandparents' day, people could not have imagined how Revelation chapter 11 would come to pass, which says that all the world will see the dead bodies of God's two end time witnesses lying in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. But with the advent of satellite TV and the internet, it's of course entirely feasible. When Jesus said end time signs will intensify like birth pains as his return draws near, people who actually anticipate the Lord's appearing, sadly, are a rare fellowship of believers. Ever since I was a young teenager, I began to experience divine dreams about the second coming of Jesus. Dreams particularly concerning the event known by theologians as the rapture. The Apostle Paul taught in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 about the rapture, that the Lord himself will descend with a shout, with the shofar of God, and the dead in Messiah will rise first. And then afterwards, those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the resurrected dead in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. So, as strange as it may sound, the rapture is an event foretold in the Bible. Then at the end of the time called Jacob's trouble, also called by the Bible the Great Tribulation, Jesus will return to earth with the resurrected and raptured saints and will all have immortal bodies to rule this earth from Jerusalem, the worship capital of the world for a thousand years. If it's hard to wrap your head around these truths, know this. The Bible differentiates between the rapture and the second coming as two end-time stages that are related but separate. Why? Because, you see, there are a number of scriptures that say Jesus will be coming for his church, but other scriptures say he will come back with his church. For example, Luke 21, 36 speaks of Jesus coming for his church. In that verse, he said, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Another famous passage, John 14, verses 1 to 4, speaks of Jesus coming for his church. He said, Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, because in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Revelation 3.10 is another verse in which Jesus says he's coming 
for his church. It's very important. Listen, he said, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the earth dwellers. But now there are other scriptures that describe Jesus's second coming with his church back to earth. And these verses include Zechariah 14, 5, 1 Corinthians 3, 13, and Jude 1, 14. All of these verses state that the Lord will come with all the saints. Please understand that some verses describe a rapture while Jesus appears only to the church, not to the whole world, but to those who are looking for him. Hebrews 9.28, for example, says, And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. Well, I hope you are looking for him. On the other hand, there are other verses that describe his second coming when every eye will see him coming in power and great glory and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So do you see how these sets of verses differ? Now, here's an important point. In this world, believers are not promised immunity from suffering. That's for sure. In this world, we will have tribulation. Just look how the church in the Middle East is being heavily persecuted right now and also in Africa. But believers are promised immunity from the time of God's great wrath in the unprecedented great tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 is an important verse in this regard. That verse admonishes us to wait for Jesus who will deliver us from the wrath to come. I don't think any of us has any idea what the wrath of God is really like. There's only one other time in history when the world saw God's wrath upon the entire world, and that was during Noah's day when God sent the worldwide flood. But just prior to the flood, God removed Noah and his family in the ark. This time in the rapture, God says he will remove all believers who constitute the Lord's bride and who are looking for him. And then he's going to rain down his wrath, his judgments on the earth. But in the midst of it, he will save. He will redeem the nation of Israel. Hallelujah. Well, now, I don't base my beliefs because of supernatural dreams that I've experienced of seeing the Lord and being caught up in the rapture. I base these beliefs upon the whole tenor of rightly handling and dividing this word of God. For example, the prophets Enoch and Elijah in the Hebrew Bible were snatched to heaven and they never died. They are a type of a company of the rapture in the Hebrew Bible. And there's also the company of Old Testament saints who were resurrected and who appeared to many in Jerusalem after Jesus was resurrected. Let's look at that passage about that company. Turn with me to Matthew 27, and I'm going to start with verse 50, where Jesus is on the cross. And when he had cried out with a loud voice, it says, he yielded up his spirit. And in verse 51, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And there was an earthquake and the rocks were split and the graves were opened. 
Now listen, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So who were these resurrected saints? They were a company, a rapture company, part of the first fruits offered to God during Passover. Jesus being the first to rise from the dead on the Jewish holiday during Passover, fulfilling the holiday called first fruits. Now, when Jesus descends in the cloud with the shofar of God, soon another company of saints will be resurrected and raptured. So see, this all has biblical precedent. But as I've just noted about these precedents, it can happen again. But strangely, many preachers who used to preach about the end-time rapture no longer mention this doctrine. They seem to be ashamed. And they are even ridiculing it as part of the end-time apostasy. We're living in days of apostasy despite the myriad of signs pointing to the imminent return of the Lord. It just amazes me to hear many preachers casually making statements in their sermons about the world 200 years from now, 500 years from now, as if the church age is going to continue indefinitely without the intervention of the Lord's second coming to rule on earth. But the critics don't really know the tenor of Scripture. Their biggest objection is that they say the rapture can't be true because the word rapture, they claim, isn't in the Bible. But yes, it is if you read the Latin Vulgate Bible, for example, because the form of the word rapture is found in the Vulgate in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. In this verse, which I've already mentioned, Paul speaks of believers being snatched from the earth. And from this Latin word, to be caught up, we get in English the word rapture. The equivalent word in the Greek New Testament is herpazo, meaning to be caught up. For example, God has revealed himself as a triunity. The Bible mentions the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in both Testaments. Yet the word Trinity, per se, isn't found in the text of the Bible. One of the cardinal concepts of the doctrine of Jesus' return is eminency, which is the orthodox biblical precept that the Lord can return suddenly at any moment. So in order for the Lord's return to be truly eminent, there must be a rapture separate from the actual second coming to earth because there are many prophecies that must be fulfilled before the Lord returns physically to earth to rule. The second coming itself, on the other hand, cannot be imminent because first the man of sin, the Antichrist, must be revealed and other events have to happen, like the temple has to be rebuilt. But the rapture itself is imminent. Nothing has to be fulfilled first. Many who believe in the rapture are increasingly criticized and slandered as being somehow escapists. When I see the state of the world, I'm not ashamed to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But that desire does not paralyze me and prevent me from planning my gospel work. In fact, it pushes me to want to do more. I'm not going to hide out in the hills because I'm too busy trying to bring in the last Gentiles into the kingdom of God. And that requires urgency and a diligent desire to fulfill 
the Great Commission. Recently, we preached via Skype to thousands in Pakistan and hundreds were saved. So we continue to try to bring in these Gentiles before the second coming of Jesus into the kingdom. And when God anoints us, we can be confident concerning witnessing to others about Jesus. And we can relax and discern who is ready to hear the gospel and who's not ready. In fact, we can avoid a lot of fruitless efforts to collar people because people of all backgrounds can spot a religious junkie. The aim is simply to be spirit-led at all times. And Jesus is our example. He always discerned a person's capacity to listen or to respond, and he acted accordingly. He advised his disciples not to cast pearls of wisdom and precepts before swine, swine representing the kind of people who will trample you down. And he also said, don't throw your pearls before dogs. The dogs represent people who growl and tear at you with their teeth. Now, getting back to my concern that believers are not watching for the coming of the Lord. It used to be that Christians enjoyed cordial panel discussions for believing in the pre-tribulation rapture or in mid-tribulation or a post-tribulation rapture. But now critics in the churches strangely are hostile and try to characterize especially the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine is something sinister or negative that can hurt people's faith if it turns out that they have to go through the tribulation. But I say, don't let the devil rob us of our blessed hope. If you think you have to live through and endure all of God's wrath, where in your theology is the eminence of the Lord's appearing? Well, one of my favorite Bible teachers, Chuck Missler of Blessed Memory, argued that God has ordained the rapture to take the devil by surprise. You see, the devil knows the Bible from cover to cover, and so God has to keep some secrets from Satan. It's important, of course, for me to make a disclaimer here, and that is a true believer's faith is not in the rapture. Our faith is is in Jesus the Messiah, who is our only ark of safety. And if we're in him, if we belong to Jesus, nothing can catch us out of his hand. But he has promised to snatch us out of unprecedented trouble to come, the days of wrath. And how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? In the New Testament, Paul said in Titus 2.13 that we're waiting for our Blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. This blessed hope helps me to consecrate my time and my gospel activities with greater determination in the Lord's service. Many Christians who are facing genocide find the blessed hope a great comfort. But sadly, many in the Western churches aren't crying for the Messiah to return. But... Amazingly, at the same time, the nation of Israel is calling for the Messiah. How about that? Orthodox Jews have posters saying, we want Moshiach, we want Messiah now. The Israelis don't yet know that the Messiah is actually Jesus or Yeshua, his Hebrew name. But when he returns, they'll know soon enough. And may I remind you that Jesus said that when these signs begin to happen, 
We should be looking up, lifting up our heads, because our redemption is drawing near. The reestablishment of the state of Israel on May 14, 1948, was singled out by Jesus as the one event that we should watch for to signpost his return. His prophecy is in the fig tree parable in Matthew 24. The day before he delivered his Olivet Discourse on the end times, Jesus cursed a barren fig tree that didn't have any fruit on it, and overnight the tree withered and died. Theologians call that a miracle of judgment, and it was a symbolic prophecy, a parable demonstrating that God would judge Israel with a temporary spiritual blindness because its spiritual leadership had rejected Messiah. However, thankfully, that's not the end of the fig tree. The next day, Jesus instructed his disciples to watch for the fig tree to blossom again. In other words, he said for us to look for the rebirth of Israel. And when the fig tree blossoms again, and that happened in 1948, Jesus said this would be a key sign that he would soon return. And he added in Matthew 24, 34, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What generation? Well, many theologians say the generation that sees the fig tree blossom. And you and I could be that generation because the fig tree blossomed in 1948 and the Israelis recaptured the old city of Jerusalem in 1967 in the Six-Day War. Proofs positive that we're living in the end times. Jesus said the recapture of Jerusalem by the Jewish people would mark the end of the Gentile age. So let's take a moment to catch up where we are in end time prophecy. It's very late. So in conclusion today, I believe that this is a divine appointment between you and me. The biblical material and Bible verses that we've shared demand your attention and a response. The Bible warns us to flee from the wrath to come. And I believe for some time we've been living in an extended period of grace between two dispensations. We're living between the end of the times of the Gentiles and the rising again of the nation of Israel as prophesied. The words of the Apostle Peter in his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.40 still apply to this generation, that we should be saved from this perverse generation. Amen. Do you want this chaotic world to continue in its present state of sin and lawlessness? Or do you really yearn for the Lord's return to set things straight? Can you say with Paul that you're living your life in the blessed hope, looking for his appearing? Are you living in light of the knowledge of the soon return of the Lord? If Jesus were to descend today with a shout of the archangel and the trump of God, would you be ready? If you've never consciously received Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is the time to receive him. What must you do to be saved? The Bible teaches us to repent of our sins and to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved to receive him. So I urge you to invite the Lord into your heart and start to live by the anointing of the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth. 
In the meantime, I want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which brings you news on current and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we offer a free library of videos 24-7. And we also invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits. Feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media. And don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. I'm Christine Dark, Maranatha.